Hi, my name is Lindsay and I'm a member here at Restored Church. If you're new here, welcome. Thanks so much for tuning in. We believe that church is not an event, but a family you belong to. So we would love to offer the opportunity to connect with you. I'd love to be saying this in person, but circumstances have us doing otherwise. So if you'd like to learn more about our church or we can help you in any way, please visit our website, www.RestoredTemecula.Church. And then you can just click on contact there. We also have a mobile app with resources, including the Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app at Apple and Android app stores. With that said, thanks so much for tuning in and we hope you enjoy the message. But man, it's good to be with everybody. It's very, very good to be with everybody. If I if haven't met yet, my name is Tom. Uh, I have the privilege of providing leadership to the church as the lead pastor uh, on eldership, my wife, Ebony, and with the incomparable Eric and Heather Berga. Would love to meet you today. Maybe after gathering, I see some new faces. So it'd be great to, to connect for a little bit if that's something you'd be up for. Now, this morning, uh, we are currently in a series going through the Gospel of Matthew. And we've entitled this series, The King and His Kingdom. And we've been exploring all about what the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, those two phrases are kind of synonymous in the scriptures. We've been exploring what the kingdom of God is like, what the kingdom of heaven is like. And for whatever reason, we've been putting this in front of each other like every week because it's important. But for whatever reason... I don't know, like Western Christianity tends to view the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven as something kind of out there, something distant, something that you go to like after you die. And now it's so much more than that, okay? Yes, but there's so much more, okay? When I speak of the kingdom of God, what I'm talking about is I'm talking about the rule and reign of God. He's king, right? So his ways, his rule, his reign. One of the things that, uh, that's been really helpful for me is I've been trying to really, uh, I don't know, sink my teeth into this idea of what does the Bible say about the kingdom of God? There's a theologian, D.A. Carson, and he talks about how the kingdom of God is more a reign than a realm. It's more a power than it is a place. You see, the Bible teaches something remarkable about the kingdom of God. The Bible teaches that the kingdom of God is a reality that we can experience right now, partly in the present and then fully in the future, okay? Now, currently in this section that I talk about with the series, the king and his kingdom, going through the gospel of Matthew, the, currently we're in this section in Matthew, what's, it's known as the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you've heard of this, the Sermon on the Mount. It's chapters five through seven in the gospel of Matthew. And what the Sermon on the Mount is, is it's a sermon by who? By Jesus. It's a sermon by Jesus. And it is the greatest sermon of all time. Okay, hands down. See the wisdom and the truth that's contained in this sermon is arguably the most revolutionary teaching in the history of the world. Okay, I'm talking like the effects of this teaching have spanned all across the globe over thousands of years. And we're not just talking about like Christians. These teachings have permeated the wisdom and truth of the teachings of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount have permeated everywhere. It's incredible. It's, it, is, 
it is arguably the most revolutionary teaching in the history of the world. And Jesus begins this famous Sermon on the Mount, this, this famous teaching with what's known as the Beatitudes. I'm just kind of bringing you up to speed here, okay? With what's known as the Beatitudes. That word Beatitudes, it comes from the Latin word Beastus, which basically means like happy or, or blessed. But, but what it's getting at here is, is not just like a typical happiness. It's talking about a transcendent happiness, a happiness that transcends even your circumstances and the things happening to you and the things going on around you. So what these beatitudes are is it's basically a list. Jesus shows up, he starts his Sermon on the Mount, and he lists out these eight beatitudes, right? These eight kingdom blessings, And here's the thing about these eight kingdom blessings, these beatitudes. At first glance, they don't make a whole lot of sense. They're they're kind of disorienting. They're kind of upside down, especially the beatitude that we're going to cover this morning, okay? Uh, You guys are going to have the privilege of hearing from our very own Andrea Bomstad. Yep, she is a gift to us. Uh, You can come up, Dre. Uh, Andrea is a wife. She's a mother. She is a friend. She's a gospel community leader. She's, her and her husband, Kylo, uh, along with Aaron and Sarah Russell, they lead a wonderful, amazing gospel community. Um, she's been working on this message for a while now. And, and let me just say this. Not only am I really excited for you to hear this message, but I cannot think of someone in our church more qualified to speak on today's passage than Andrea. So hear me when I say, this is going to be, I believe, an important morning for us as a church. I think this is going to be an important morning for many of you in the room. And so without further ado, what I'd love to do is I'd love to call up her man, her husband, Kyla, to come pray for your bride, and then we'll get started with this morning's message. Sound good? All right, my man. Father, we are so grateful for this time. I'm so grateful for the giftings that you've given Andrea. I pray that you would use her in a beautiful and helpful way today uh, to speak your truths that you've uh, revealed to her. Um, Father, as I kind of think about uh, this message, I see you going before us in all things, and I feel like you brought her along um, for, for this part of it um, so that she could share what you've given to her in this journey uh, with the rest of us. Father, I pray that you would speak, that you would be, uh, that you would be the power within um, the words that are spoken, and that you would use my bride uh, to uh, benefit us as a church. Father, we're so thankful uh, for this gathering and for these people, and now I pray for a special gift and a blessing on Andrea now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, love. Dre, take it away. Okay. Check, check. I feel like that always has to be done. <laughs> Guys, I was so excited because um, normally I'm um, a paper girl. I love my paper, but I'm like, I have to switch over to an iPad. Everybody's doing it. So I did, and I can't get it past the two-minute lock screen. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> I'm going to try. Um, but good morning. I really am very excited this morning. I am passionate about crying. (laughs) I'm passionate about mourning because I think that there's so much healing to be found in that place. Um, and I'm prepared. I hope I would like everybody to like, look 
for a tissue box around you so you can access it at any moment if need be, just in case. Uh, But before we get started, I'm going to pray for us as well. Father, I I woke up this morning just in complete gratitude, um, not only for the ways that I have seen you comfort me, um, but for the ways that I've been able to comfort others just from you being with me in the most painful of moments. Um, So I ask that this morning that there would be safety in this room, um, that we would feel secure and the freedom to, um, I don't know, lay whatever we need to at your feet, the freedom to uh, talk with you honestly and rawly about where we're at, where our hearts are at. Um, And I ask that you would meet us here in an incredible way, like one that we will never forget. Um, So be with us. Uh, Speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you know that there is this movie out that is, it's just storming all of Disney Plus right now. Um, Encanto. Anybody? (laughs) So, months, my kids have been watching it, and I still hadn't taken the time to sit and watch it with them. And I finally did about a month ago. And the story, I'm going to summarize very quickly in case you haven't watched it. There is this family that is given special gifts. And there is a girl in the family that when she went to get her special gift, nothing happened. So she walked away giftless. And as the storyline goes on, um, she is watching, I think it is her cousin, her youngest cousin. So nobody has gotten a gift since she didn't get a gift. So her cousin, it's now his time to go to the door and receive his gift. And everybody's wondering, like, is he going to get a gift? And he walks to the door, and he's given a gift. He is able to talk to animals. And she sees the family come around him, and the grandmother says something to the effect of, like, you are so special. I knew that you were special. And hearing those words, you just see everything about her change. And she starts singing this song. And I'm going to just read you the lyrics. Not going to sing it. (laughs) There'll be more time for that later. (laughs) Um, So she says, she's talking to herself, don't be upset or mad at all. Don't feel regret or sad at all. Hey, I'm still a part of the family Madrigal. I I can't roll my R's. And I'm fine. I am totally fine. I will stand on the side as you shine. I'm not fine. I'm not fine. I can't move the mountains. I can't make the flowers bloom. I can't take another night up in my room waiting on a miracle. I can't heal what's broken. I can't control the morning rain or a hurricane. I can't keep down the unspoken, invisible pain, always waiting on a miracle, on a miracle. And when I heard that song, I'm like, man, that is, like, that is a lament. It's a lament that perfectly depicts the inner struggle that we all encounter when we face heartache, disappointment, or loss. The struggle of mustering up our own strength and courage, often leading to a denial of what's actually taking place in our hearts. As it's been stated many times During this Matthew series, the kingdom is a reversal of everything that we know, 
And the Beatitudes aren't any different. It's literally a shattering of labels. The things which the world looks upon as weak and insignificant, Jesus comes along and he says, no, there's a treasure to be found here. Like, I have a gift for you in this. And mourning isn't any different. Mourning is a place that's filled with sorrow, with pain, with brokenness. It's a recognition of one's inability to control, right? When something happens that really comes at us and breaks our heart, the first thing, at least that I feel, is I'm out of control. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do with this. One definition put it this way. A manifested grief that is severe enough to take possession of a person and cannot be hid. It's something that you cannot hide, this type of mourning. So how is it possible that such a painful act, that such a painful place could be considered a blessing? Which brings us to our verse of the day. Everdeen. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. My son's on words today. And he said, Mom, seriously, there's so many slides. (laughs) I'll give you cues. (laughs) Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. But there is a stipulation to this verse. The ones who will be comforted are the ones who mourn. I was thinking about this over the last few weeks, and I was processing it with Lisa. And she said, I feel like I keep hearing the phrase, they're uncomforted. They're uncomforted. And as I, I, I sat on that, and I, I just kept thinking about that, what if, what if part of our anxiety, part of our depression, our restlessness, our discontentment, our anger, our despair, our hopelessness? What if it's because we remain uncomforted? Do you find yourself using any of these phrases? I have used all of them, just so you know. I just need to blank. I'm fine. I'm fine, like, I just need to get to here. Nope, not right now. I'm not going to go there right now. Or, I don't have time for this. I don't have the space to be able to break down. Or, this makes me uncomfortable. I don't think many of us would purposefully deny comfort. Quite the opposite. I think comfort is something that we pursue quite often. But most of the comforts we fight for aren't true comforts. They're imposters, right, that only satisfy for a short period of time, leaving us feeling emptier than before. I recently had to do, like, this massive elimination diet for six months, and as soon as I gave up chocolate, that's all I wanted. I'm like, I just, just give it to me. I'll be fine. <laughs> um, but there was this false sense of comfort in chocolate, Right? But here Jesus offers a kind of comfort that goes beyond the fleeting present moment. It's a deep-seated encouragement that you can get from nowhere else. 
It's an inner strengthening, an anchoring, a consolation, but it comes with a requirement of sorts. To put it in different terms, those who are comforted are those who are mourning. And they are blessed. They're happy. They're fortunate. They're well off. So today we're going to look at what it means to mourn. We're going to go over why do we mourn? What do we mourn? How do we mourn? And why would we even want the gift of comfort? Like, why is that even important? Okay, so starting off, blessed are those who mourn. So for reference sake, who was the Sermon on the Mount directed to? Disciples. The needy. Okay, so your guys' homework (laughs) is to go back and read (laughs) where we just came from. Okay, so Matthew 4, 18 through 25, um, he lists off, at that moment, there were fishermen, there were the afflicted, there were those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, there were the demon-possessed, the epileptics, the paralytics. So basically, the unimportant, the sick, the tortured, and the poverty-stricken. That is who he was talking to. He then went up to the mountain in the beginning of Matthew 5, and it says his disciples came and sat at his feet. But then later, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew seven twenty-eight, it said when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. So we can assume that disciples is all that were following him at that time. So collectively, the unimportant, the sick, the tortured, the a lot of problems going on, okay? So he affirms everything about these people in that moment. And in essence says the kingdom of God is for you right where you're at. He's not telling them, you earn my comfort by mourning. He is saying, I see you are hurting and the kingdom is for you. My comfort is for you right now, just where you are, just how you are. So most people would look upon this group with pity, at best. So pity is a softening of one's heart towards another, a look of compassion, but it doesn't always involve an action, like a stepping into the brokenness on the person's behalf, right? But Jesus not only looks at this group with compassion, but he is saying, I am coming here for you. I came here for you. And what I have to give will transform everything that you've ever known. Because in his kingdom, everything changes, period. Which is why you can have this paradox of happy mourning or blessed mourning. It's not rejoicing in the pain. It's not rejoicing in the suffering. It's not even chasing after it. Like, Lord, make me suffer. Who's, nobody says that. But rather, the blessing is a byproduct of Jesus entering into the mourning, into the pain, and administering comfort. 
It is taking something so excruciating and using it as a vehicle for beauty, for meaning and significance. It's a surprise light that reframes the entire perspective. You can't even see it the same anymore. But the first step to take is to mourn. So as we begin to break this down, I want you to keep this question in the back of your mind. I'm lying. I want you to keep two questions in the back of your mind. When was the last time you mourned? And what is keeping you from entering that space? When was the last time you mourned? And what is keeping you from entering into that space? Okay, to mourn. So the definition of mourning is to grieve, to lament. It's grief or sorrow caused by a profound loss. It's an outward expression of sorrow. So why would we do this? Because we live in a sinful, fallen world. There's brokenness around every corner. You cannot go through this life without being scathed by its brokenness. I mean, like, tragic things to very small, everyday occurrences. Um, As I was putting this together, some of you know this, but when I was pregnant with our first child, I was 41 weeks along, and I went into labor. And I was in labor for 32 hours. At the end of that labor, I pushed for two and a half hours. And in the last 20 minutes, they yell, code blue. And I'm sitting on the table. They're doing everything they can to get the baby out of me. They get my daughter out. And there's, like, silence. There's not a scream. There's not a cry. And all of a sudden, 20 people come rushing into my bedroom. My bedroom. I was not at home. (laughs) The hospital. Um, I honestly, I had no idea what was going on. And in that moment, I'm just, I just remember feeling relief of, thank God, like she's out. She's out. She died 17 hours later. She went without oxygen for too long that last 20 minutes. I went home that night without my firstborn baby girl, and she was completely healthy, eight pounds, 11 ounces, beautiful baby. It was devastating. I mourned for a really long time. That was tragic. But then you have something like three weeks ago, I'm at a Starbucks, And there's a little mishap in the parking lot, a little miscommunication between me and another driver. And he gets out, like I get out of my car and this guy just starts like screaming obscenities and curse words and hand motions and all of the things. And I'm just standing there like, what is happening right now? And I turn around, I get my coffee, I go back in the car and I'm just, I start crying. I'm like, I feel... I can't even, I don't know. I just felt attacked and all the things. Mourning needed to take place. A quote on grief. But unless we make space for grief, we cannot know the depths of the love of God. I need you to hear that. 
Unless we make space for grief, we cannot know the depths of the love of God, the healing that God wrings from pain, the way grieving yields wisdom, comfort, even joy. If we do not make time for grief, it will not simply disappear. That is like, that is not just a spiritual truth. That is a truth that has been proven over and over again by psychologists, by therapists, by psychiatrists. If you do not make time for grief, it will not disappear. Grief is stubborn. It will make itself heard or we will die trying to silence it. If we don't face it directly, it comes out sideways in ways that aren't always recognizable as grief. Explosive anger, uncontrollable anxiety, compulsive shallowness, rooting bitterness, unchecked addiction. Grief cannot be put to rest until its purpose has been fulfilled. I have said this before, but it's worth repeating. Grief is the spirit searching for the hurts that remain. It is, it's not the spirit looking for ways to make you feel sad, to make you feel shame, to make you feel guilty. No, it is the spirit searching for the areas that he wants to continue to fully heal. If God is truly the God of all comfort, according to 2 Corinthians 1.3, then it can be concluded that he must know and pursue the parts of us that require that strengthening. How can he be the God of all comfort if he does not know where comfort is needed? Therefore, grief is not simply a byproduct of being hurt. It is the vehicle the resource, the tool that is given to us in order to bring about complete healing. Mourning is the way through the pain, period. Mourning is the way through. You are not going to get through by continuing to push it aside. You are not going to be able to make it through by continuing to distract yourself or choosing something else that you know. Mourning is the way through the pain. It's not trivial or a waste of time. It's not only for fours on the Enneagram, that's me, or those with a personality that are, that's bent towards mercy, towards compassion or empathy. It's not a suggestion. It's necessary. Mourning is the way through the pain. It is the way through to comfort. So what do we mourn? That's a great question, Andrea. Okay. So if grief, you just got a glimpse into my homeschooling. <laughs> I talk to myself as a teacher um, when my students don't answer. Uh, grief is not simply a response to tragedy. It can actually become quite commonplace when we give ourselves over to it, like my example of Starbucks, right? So by nature, I'm very, I'm very easily affected by pain, specifically emotional pain. I can, I, I take it on. I could take it on from a group of people. I can take it on from the room. I could take it on from a TV show, like just what I do. 
And I find great relief in purposely sitting in a chair and letting myself bawl my eyes out. It's one of my favorite pastimes. Um, My nephew, Owen, is actually... Owen, raise raise your hand. Yeah. So he's actually more surprised when I don't cry at gathering than when I do. (laughs) He always says, Andrew, you're not crying today. Um, Do you guys remember that show, Parenthood? When was this? Like five, six years ago? I don't know. In case you don't know, there's a new thing called COVID math. So... If you, think, if you think it was three years ago, then you add two, and that's your real timeline. So that feels like three years ago to me. <laughs> so I'm going to say it was five years ago, parenthood. So we were watching this, and I had to stop because I was waking up in the middle of the night praying for these characters. I couldn't separate, <laughs> but they were not real. <laughs> it really disturbed me, the choices that were being made. Um, so I can't watch TV. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. But as I've immersed myself in the study of grief, I've learned that even in my own allowances of allowing myself to go to those places, there is still so much I hold on to. And it shapes me. It shapes my relationships. It shapes my responses. It shapes my beliefs and my perspectives. It shapes how I see and understand God and other people. Even while driving to the office to do my cue for this, um, I was on the brink of tears and I was just like, instead of feeling shame for feeling too much yet again, I was like, okay, Lord, why am I feeling like this? What's going on? And he said, you're disappointed in yourself. You hate the fact that you may have caused that person pain. And in that moment, I was able to like give that to him. I sat in it, I gave it to him, and then I could, I could actually move on with my day, like genuinely. You see, every day we bear pain. We bear losses, small disappointments, betrayals, broken expectations, agonizing memories, rejection, failure, insecurities, physical reminders of broken bodies, our own sin, the sin of others, violence, war, death. Happy Sunday. (laughs) It's never ending. But he gives us a tool. He gives us a tool. And he wants it all. He wants to be in it with us, big or small. Because essentially, mourning is a releasing. It's a releasing of our emotions, of our pain, our frustrations, of our doubts, our questions, and all of their rawness. We're not, we can be completely raw with the Lord in an act of dependence. And when we take that step, there's an indescribable comfort to be found. During uh, World War II... Romanians Richard Wormbrand and his wife Sabina would go preaching in bomb shelters and rescuing Jewish children out of the ghetto. They were repeatedly arrested, beaten, and almost executed. Sabina lost her entire family to the Nazi concentration camps. In 1948, Richard was kidnapped and locked away in a solitary confinement cell. He was in and out of imprisonment for the next 16 years, 
It was during this time that he penned these words. In church, I had to be careful not to hurt the feelings of the prejudices of my listeners. With you, I can be absolutely frank. You have no inquisition. You will not try me for heresy. In front of others, I had to praise you, but here I am free to question you. I will tell you openly everything that is in my heart. How glad I am for the first time I am able to speak so openly with you, so in the end I realize you have not left me alone. I am with you, neither have you left me without the sun. I see the sun of righteousness rising in my dark cell. Thank you and praise you. Amen. We mourn because of the, when we are in the height of our pain, we are drawn to the truth in the heart of our Father. And there is no limit to what we can mourn. I can tell you openly everything that is in my heart. Everything. So how do we mourn? Mourning is the physical act of expressing grief, which is a benefit in and of itself. Right? Psalms 126, 5 through 6 says, Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Though one goes along weeping, carrying the bag of seed, he will surely come back with shouts of joy, carrying his sheaves. I've always loved that verse because I love gardening. And that picture of, oh, you want joy? Here's your seeds of tears. How do you plant them? You cry. If you want joy, you sow in tears. The physical act. Did you also know there are three types of tears? All with the same chemical makeup, but emotional tears carry a higher percentage of stress hormones and natural painkillers. The Lord is so good. That's why when I'm having an anxiety attack, if I have a good cry, I feel great afterwards. It just kills all the pain. But mourning also involves the act of lament. Oh, I forgot my book. I knew I forgot something today. Okay, I was this next portion, I was going to reference a book. It's called... Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, and much of what I'm going to be talking about in this section is from that book. So, he says, Lament is the honest cry of a hurting heart, wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. As Christians, we affirm that the world is broken, that God is powerful, and that he is faithful. Like, those are things as a Christian you're like, yep, yep, yep. We believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, that he rose again, and that he is going to make all things new. But pain still lingers. Therefore, lament stands in the gap between pain and promise, the present and the not yet. Uh, Stacy Gluddy Smith says, A lament 
honestly and specifically names a situation or a circumstance that is painful, that is wrong, or unjust. In other words, a circumstance that does not align with God's character and therefore does not make sense within God's kingdom. Isn't this like one of the biggest struggles of being a Christian? Is, Lord, I know, gosh, your love is incredible. And I know that you are good. And I know that you want what's best for me. Why am I experiencing this then? This is not lining up with who you say you are. My experience is not lining up with your character. There are four practical steps to biblical lament. And I'm going to be using Psalm 86, like the whole chapter, as kind of an example. And then I'll throw in some life examples. They're plentiful. Number one, first step in lamenting, turn to God. Talk to him. Address him. Psalm 86, 1 and 6. Listen, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my plea for mercy. An example, maybe, in a prayer that I've done recently, like, Father, this hurts. Lord, are you listening to me? Will you give me your attention? Let's say Kylo and I are fighting. Just try and imagine it. (laughs) If my aim is to heal an argument that I had with him, I could address him directly and say, Love, that really sucked when you said this. It made me feel like blank. Or I could choose to never directly talk to Kylo about it and instead voice my concerns to others and just talk about him. And I could say, Kylo said this and it's making me more and more angry as the days go on. He doesn't even care. So I'm seeing something that doesn't align with Kylo's character And it's causing doubts to arise. It's causing me to doubt our relationship. But unless I go directly to Kylo and choose to talk to him about it, it most likely will never get fully resolved or healed. Why would it be any different with God? Why? More often than not, when suffering knocks at our door, our first reaction is, why is he doing this? Why is he letting this happen? Lament is learning to change the he to you. Why are you allowing this to happen? It is going directly to him. Does that make sense? Turn to God. Step number one. Step number two, Bring your complaint. Being as straightforward and honest as possible, bring the specific pain or injustice to God. There is a difference between a self-centered rage and anger (laughs) 
towards God in a godly complaint. We complain on the basis of our belief of who God is and what he can do. So in Psalms 86, 14, God, arrogant people, I love David. I just love him. I love that he can just call it out. And he's not like, I shouldn't call him arrogant. It's like, no, they're arrogant. God, arrogant people have attacked me. A gang of ruthless men intends to kill me. They do not let you guide them. Real life example, when I lost my daughter, like night after night after night, why did you allow this to happen? Why didn't you heal her? I know that you could have healed her. You had the power and you didn't do it. I asked over and over and over again. I begged you. I kept knocking just like you asked me to. Why didn't you save her? And why are you silent now? The act of bringing your frustrations to God is giving him the opportunity to not only answer, but to redirect your heart. Rather than allowing the painful circumstance to fester, David just calls it out. He lays out his frustrations. I was reading a book one time and it said something along the lines of, God must be great in order to have created a world with so many arguments against him. Can he not take our own frustrations? Bring your complaint. Number three, ask boldly. Call upon God to act in a manner that fits his character and resolves your complaint. This moves us from the why to the who. So Psalm 86, 2, 3, 11, 16, 17. Just going to take little parts of them. Protect my life, for I am faithful. You are my God, save your servant who trusts in you. Be gracious to me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Teach me your way, Lord, and I will live by your truth. Give me an undivided mind to fear your name. Turn to be, turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant. Show me a sign of your goodness. Do you see all these requests? And this is just in one chapter. More often than not, the laments found in the Old Testament would anchor back to God's faithfulness to the Israelites. When he parted the Red Sea, when he led them through the wilderness, when he brought them into the promised land, these moments defined their understanding of who God was. David's confidence in God's character and his knowledge, Yadea, experiential knowledge of his past deliverance compels him to make bold requests. Who God is becomes the more prominent reality. So for the Christian, the defining moment, the place where we find ultimate deliverance every single time, is the cross. 
This is where all of our questions, our heartaches, our pain should be taken. The cross shows us that God has already proven himself to be for us and not against us. When I was trying to think of a real life example of this, I honestly, I struggled because I have no problem praying and asking bold requests for others. I have no problem asking on others' behalves, and I have full faith that the Lord will do that for them. When it comes to asking for me personally, I struggle. For some reason, there is a disconnect for me of he can do it for them, but why don't, I can't ask for me. It's harder to believe. But what has helped is remembering. Remembering, like, Jesus, I don't know how you did it, but you brought me through still loving you while still mourning my daughter. Or that one time where we were really struggling with money, and I remember driving on De Portola Road, and I was coming around that loop thinking, what in the heck are we going to do? Like, I don't even have money for this next month's rent. And I check our account when I get home, and 800 and something dollars was deposited. Who knows? I don't even know. I don't even remember where it came from. I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, like, why do I doubt you? You're so good. Asking boldly requires a remembering, a remembering of God's character and his faithfulness, his steadfastness, his goodness in the past. When we remember all that he has done, it compels us to make bold requests. We ask boldly because he understands deeply. So ask boldly is the third point. Fourth point, choose to trust. At some point, guys, there ha- a decision has to be made. Like, you either choose to trust or you don't. Affirm God's worthiness to be trusted and commit to praising him. Psalm 86, 8, 12, and 15. Lord, there is no one like you among the gods, and there are no works like yours. I will praise you with all my heart, Lord my God, and will honor your name forever. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. In that book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, he says, Lament helps us to practice active patience. Trust looks like talking to God, sharing our complaints, seeking God's help, and then recommitting ourselves to believe in who God is and what he has done, even as the trial continues. It is trusting despite what circumstances might still lead one to believe. When I went to type out this next example, I wrote, this is kind of silly. And then I erased it because I'm like, no, there's nothing silly to him. He literally cares about every single detail of our life. So this is how this played out recently in my life. Um, I've been having a lot of teeth work done. And I went in to have a procedure done, and it went terrible. And I ended up in excruciating pain for 
about a week. I mean, like, nothing was touching this pain. No amount of medicine. Like, it was just, it was hard. And that whole week, I'm just praying for healing. Just, Lord, heal. I know you can heal this. But as the week went on and the pain kept increasing and increasing and increasing, as I kept turning to him, my prayers changed from, will you heal this to, help me to endure this. Like, I've asked you. I know that you've heard me. If you're not going to answer me in this way, help me in this way, please. Lament is still filled with hope because of where it points us. It will always point us to Jesus. Lament vocalizes the pain of the moment while believing that help is on the way. It gives us hope because it gives us a glimpse of truth. So for me, the truth that arose in that moment, in that week of terrible tooth pain, was pain will not be forever. Because I really would get glimpse, I would get these glimpses of relief for whatever reason. It would be maybe 20 minutes of, oh gosh, it's not throbbing. And then it would come back. But there was always this like push of relief. And it made me think of child labor, right? You get these contractions and then you get some relief in between. And then another contraction comes. It's the same with our seasons. Winter is not forever. He gives us a taste of relief now. There will be full relief in the end. Lament will always point us back to hope. So, let me find those points again. So number one, turn to God. Number two, bring your complaint. Number three, ask boldly. Number four, choose to trust. Why? Why would we do all of these things? So we could be comforted. Comfort means to encourage, to console, to strengthen. In my own life, it's acted as a re-anchoring. Nicholas Wolterstorff, it's a cool last name, a philosopher and theologian who wrote the book Lament for a Son said this, What I need to hear from you, he's talking to God, is that you recognize how painful it is. I need to hear from you that you are with me in my desperation. To comfort me, you have to come close. Come sit beside me on my morning bench. I love that. To comfort me, you have to come close. I will, I don't know, every once in a while, I'll get a phone call from somebody saying, Andrea, my friend just lost their child. What do I do? What can I do? The advice or the suggestion that I give every single time is stay with them and listen to the same story over and over and over again. Because when you are grieving, sometimes you're focusing in on this one thing that hurts, and you need to say that it hurts over and over and over again. That is what he wants to do. 
when he comes to sit with us, when he comes close, it is an, he is giving us an invitation of, you can say it over and over and over again for as long as it takes. There's a lot that I don't remember about my life, and my family always makes fun of me for it. So we'll be sitting there oftentimes, and Jamie will say, do you remember this? Nope, sure don't. Like, we were talking recently about when we moved into my parents' house, currently. I was 17, 18, see, somewhere around there. So they were talking about that day, and Jamie's like, oh, yeah, I went to school because it was Valentine's Day, and da-da-da-da. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know what I was doing. Like, I genuinely don't remember moving into that house. I, I remember just being in the room, and it was my room. And I know they didn't set up my room. It had to have happened. Like, I had to have moved. I just don't remember it. But what I do remember quite accurately and vividly are the times in which Jesus came and sat with me on my morning bench. Like, I can't forget those moments. When I was 15 years old, I was going through all the things that a 15-year-old girl goes through. All the insecurities and who am I, like... Do I even belong? Like, do I even have a place here? And just like going through that, those thought processes. And the next day, my friend who worked at Ross at the time, which is great because she got lots of clothes and discounts. She brought me this pleather snake jacket, (laughs) which was really cool at the time. And she's like, I just need you to know that you are loved and you are beautiful the way that you are. I'm so thankful for that friend, but I saw even more of Jesus in that moment. Or when I was grieving Addie, that was the name of my first daughter, in our music room. And at the time, like, he was, he was working really early in the morning. He would leave at like three in the morning, so he'd go to bed really early. So I was oftentimes alone at night, grieving by myself. And we were in, I was in the music room, I had headphones on, I was listening to music just crying and swaying. And I just like, I felt his presence and I felt like he was with me, just like swaying with me. And it was, it it is so real. Like I go back to that memory often. Or recently, like in October, I spiraled. I spiraled into a really bad depression and I couldn't get myself out of it. And I sat down in the closet and just wept uncontrollably. I couldn't, I couldn't even get words out. I just could say like, Lord, I can't pull myself out of this. Like you have to do something. And he did like he, he broke something in that moment. And I was at least able to like get out of the closet. These moments I remember because a deeper work was taking place. Like I was getting to experience my savior in a way that I never would have been able to experience him before. I need my helpers. Helpers. Trenton and Liam, everyone. Okay, you're gonna hold this. You hold one side. Okay. (laughs) Okay. 
This is um, our makeshift whiteboard that we use for homeschooling that we have for years. And look, it's still doing so good. Okay. He will constantly write. Can you guys see this? He will write this on our hearts as many times as he needs to. Right? Doubts come, it gets erased. Or somebody tells us a lie and it gets erased. And he will continue writing this over and over and over and over and over again as many times as he needs to. Thank you. I love you. I thought what's interesting, Vinny brought up the verse. Thank you. That's it. Good job, guys. Thank you. Vinny brought up that verse in Matthew 7 last week. And I find it interesting that Jesus doesn't say, go away, I never loved you. Like, nobody, I don't care what your belief is, whether you believe that there's a God or you don't, you will never be able to stand before him and say, you didn't love me. Jesus doesn't say, I never loved you, depart from me. Instead, he said, I never knew you. The act of comfort is trading in a markered I love you for a chiseled I love you. It is something that cannot be erased. Like, it's not going anywhere. If you forget, you can literally run your hands across it. His hand of comfort is an act of chiseling. By his coming close, him intimately coming and holding us on the morning bench, it is him chiseling his love onto our hearts. If experience, like Vinny was talking about last week, if experience is the bridge between knowing intellectually and knowing experientially, yadea, yadea, okay. Then comfort in the midst of our pain is the trading out of the penciled I love you for a chiseled I love you. How can this be? Dane Ortland in Gentle and Lowly puts it this way. Our tendency is to feel intuitively that the more difficult life gets, the more alone we are. Classic lie. As we sink further into pain, we sink further into felt isolation. The Bible corrects us. Our pain never outstrips what he himself shares in. We are never alone. That sorrow that feels so isolating, so unique, was endured by him in the past and is now shouldered by him in the present. He is with us in our troubles. Like a doctor who has endured the same disease. How much more comforting is it to go to somebody who has actually gone through 
what you have gone through. It's a totally different type of comfort that you can receive from that person. Why can we trust him with this amount of raw honesty, with our frustrations, our pains, our losses, our brokenness? Because he willingly chose to step into brokenness himself. Luke 22, 42 and 44. This is Jesus speaking. Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. Matthew 27, 39, 41, 44, 46. Those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads. In the same way, the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him. Even the criminals who were crucified taunted him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, that is, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? As he is saying these words, the father turned his back on the son. As sin upon sin upon sin upon sin upon sin upon sin was laid upon him. And he yells out, why? If Jesus can question the father on the cross, why are you so afraid to question him? Not in a demeaning irreverent way. I'm talking about like the honest, raw parts. He understands because he endured it all. Not only so we could have a restored relationship, but so he could come close. He understands the reeling question, but why? Because he experienced it. Those same words left his lips. Henry Nguyen says, Compassion is not a bending toward the underprivileged from a privileged position. It is not reaching out from on high to those who are less fortunate below. It is not a gesture of sympathy or pity for those who fail to make it in the upward pool. On the contrary, compassion means going directly to those people and places where suffering is most acute and building a home there. That is what Christ did. He builds a home with us in our pain. He doesn't throw up a tent. It's a home so that he, through the Holy Spirit, can bring comfort to our weary and hurting souls so that we could experience firsthand his intimate care so he can tenderly and intentionally continue chiseling his love onto our hearts. That is why blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted.
So I have four questions for you guys. I would love for you to sit in today, tomorrow, whenever. One, when was the last time you mourned? When was the last time you mourned? Two, ask the Spirit to reveal areas in which you remain uncomforted. Lord, where am I not allowing you to comfort me? Three, is there anything you have stopped asking God to do in your life? Is there anything you've stopped asking God to do in your life? For what bold request do you need to pray? And I want to add to that one. Sometimes when we have a hard time believing for ourselves, we need to bring other people into it. Because their faith on our behalf will bolster our faith. Their faith will embolden our faith. So bring people into that. Blessed are those who mourn. Can I pray? Is that okay? Okay. Father, I, I recognize that mourning is not something that comes natural to us. It's scary because sometimes I think that there's this fear of if I let myself go there, I don't know where I'm going to end up. Or maybe even like there have been times where we have stepped into grieving, even maybe grieving with others, and we've been hurt in the process of trying to grieve. Or maybe we've even been rejected in the past by going to someone with our hurt. Father, I ask that you would remake, renew, and restore our experience with grieving and with mourning. That it would be a place that is not only filled with your presence, but with your overwhelming outpour of love and care and comfort and joy that it would be a place that we would get to know you more, more deeply, more intimately, as you heal the wounds. Lord, I ask that you would bring healing this morning, that we would have the freedom and the safety to release what needs to be released. Thank you so much for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. honor you, sis, profound. And I just want to point something out really quickly. Uh, I said it, I meant it when I said it in introducing Andrea. Um, There's one thing to have, I don't know, read books on lament and mourning. It's a whole other thing to have lived it and walked with God through it. There's an integrity that you can't fake. Um, with this woman's words. So we honor you. Thank you, sis. Okay. 
It is 11.41. We have about 15-ish minutes left in our gathering. And so this is the most important portion. This is the moment when each of us has an opportunity to respond and engage with God in the ways that he is inviting us to engage with him. To take him up on actually believing the truth that blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. And so maybe you find yourself in a season where there's, I love those questions. Everett, will you throw those back up there, man? And maybe just leave those up. The band's gonna minister to us in just a little bit, but we're gonna kind of leave space right now. Um, prayer team, if you guys would maybe make your way off to the corners. If you guys that are in the corners, we're gonna, we're gonna have kind of prayer happening around the room. Don't, don't feel, uh, I don't want you to feel uncomfortable with this. This is just, uh, God has a way of ministering to people through other people through prayer. And so we're gonna make that available to some of you that need to just can maybe process some things and receive some prayer for some areas that maybe God is highlighting in your life that he wants to meet you in and comfort you with and comfort you in. Uh, but these questions are profound. And I just, I feel specifically number two for people. Andrea showed me these questions earlier this week and I, and I responded to her, I was like, number two, and I think even Lisa had a word uh, prior to this with this lack of comfort. Ask the spirit to reveal areas in which you remain uncomforted. His desire is to meet you in that space and comfort you. And for whatever reason, our culture is really, really good at shoving things down, especially you men. I don't want to stereotype it too much, but just, just shove it down. And in the process, we're just perpetuating grief and pain and suffering. And honestly, we're missing out on the healing power, the healing touch of Almighty God. Adre was talking about um, birth pains. And those of you guys that have been in the room, you know, there's, it's like wave after wave of pain. And in between those waves, it kind of like lulls a little bit. And then there's another wave and another wave. Maybe you're in a season where you're in between. Praise God. You're not like, oh, you're not over, overwhelmed with the pain. But maybe some of you are in that season where it just hurts real bad. To the point where you can't think straight to the point where you can't really process things as well as you normally would be able to because there's a significant amount of suffering happening in your life. Whatever season you find yourself in, I think God desires to meet with all of us as individuals this morning. So we're gonna create some space for that. The band's gonna minister to us. They're gonna sing over us. You can sit in your, in your, in your seat here just quietly if you'd like to. You can stand and praise because you find yourself in a season where God's delivered you from um, significant things. You can be in a space where you're deeply hurting and wounded and still be praising. Um, there's trusted men and women kind of scattered throughout the room. You'll see there's lanyards. If you want prayer for any reason, even if you haven't fully connected the dots, they're trustworthy, they're there. You don't have to feel weird. Every single person in this room has been touched in a negative way by the brokenness of life. Okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of open our time and just invite the spirit. And so for the next 15 minutes, so this is an opportunity for each of us to respond, to engage with God in a meaningful way and take him up on his offer of comforting us in our morning. You with me? Okay, let me pray for us quick. And Ben, you guys can take it away. Spirit, we invite you. We invite you to comfort us. We take you up on your offer. So would you show us 
would you reveal areas in our lives where we will remain uncomforted? And would you meet us in those spaces in profound, supernatural, glorious ways? You don't, you don't like come and then try to, you don't come and like remove us from brokenness. You're the kind of God who joins us in it and shares in the pain alongside us. That's how you advance your kingdom. There's nobody like you, Jesus. There's nobody like you. No one's as strong. No one's as passionate. No one's as loving. No one's as courageous. We invite you, Holy Spirit. Minister to us now as we press into you. Let me pray for us as we close. Father, we really need you to show us. It's one thing for us to hear information. It's a whole other thing to experience truth. And so, Father, I pray that, um, and I get the sense that you began a work this morning in some people's heart. And you always finish what you start. So I pray that the truth and the reality that you are with us in the midst of everything that we face, you don't abandon us. You join us. You share in our suffering. It's wild. There's nobody like you. There's nobody like you. So Spirit of God, would you teach us and show us about what it looks like to trust you by actually giving ourselves over to mourning the brokenness in our life. Would you surround us with trusted men and women that can join us and even model and demonstrate for us, embody Jesus. I pray that the body of Christ would embody Jesus. That's what I'm asking. In the ways that we join each other we share in each other's grief, we bear each other's burdens. And in the process that we really would experience you and your healing power, your transcendent love. And we would be able to like literally testify, blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. I have been comforted in my mourning by my maker, by my savior, by the one who loves me enough to share in it with me and for me so that I would never be alone, I would never be forsaken. Show us, teach us. We look to you with our lives. Thank you for this morning. I wish we had more time. I love you, Jesus. Amen. All right, friends, we have gone long. So I apologize to the kids' workers. There might be some uh, casualties out there. No, I'm kidding. Um, If you could do this, uh, prayer team, if you guys could just maybe hang out for a little bit. If you need to go grab your kids, go grab your kids. We typically, we'll soft close a gathering and let people kind of receive prayer as they need to. But thank you, band. Thank you for serving us. Thanks again, Andrea. Profound morning. Uh, and if you need anything at all, if we can help you in any way, will you please like let me know? Our desire as a church family is that we would be people uh, who none of us go through life alone, especially in sensitive areas, okay? Love you very much. Enjoy your Sunday. God bless you.